Trumpets of Truth International. This lecture is entitled The Church Triumphant and it's by Apostle Jacqueline Fedor. At the moment we are born again, God imparts righteousness. Hebrews 10:17 says, then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. The essence of the above scripture is that it gives us access to the presence of the Father identical to the standing of the holy heavenly beings. Ephesians 2.19 Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So shouldn't children have free access to their father? Well, Hebrews 10.22-23 tells us, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We perhaps have not fully accepted this concept of entering into Father's presence and in fact many times even shrink from the very thought of it. It's so hard to believe we really have this privilege. After a while, we will hopefully take possession of this understanding, though, and rise up and act like our big brother Jesus. He had no consciousness of inferiority, because he wasn't conscious of sin. We, as a new creation, should have no sense of sin or inferiority either. The only time we should even have a thought towards sin is when we do something that is not right. Yes, we feel terrible when we mess up. We want to please our Father and be children that bring Him pleasure. So we must repeat immediately, take advantage of the blood of Jesus and be totally determined not to err in that fashion again. But we then have to go on without feeling the least bit condemned. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In Romans 6, verse 6 through 7 states, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed of sin. See, God not only forgives, but he forgets the sin as well. So now let's have a different outlook. In Judaism and Christianity, we constantly preached about our own wickedness, lawlessness, and unrighteousness. We kept it before the people to get them to the altar for salvation and to mature their Christian walk. The church triumphant is beginning to see things in a much different light, however. The full gospel is coming into a clearer picture. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we are truly exempt from sin. Romans 6.14 
For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. See, through God's grace, a way has been made for our righteousness to be restored to us. Jesus fully paid the price of man's sin, allowing us to be born again through God and covered with his righteousness. This is a staggering thing for the mind to grasp, that God Almighty became our righteousness. Again, this means we need to learn to walk without feeling inferior to anything or anyone. And this gives new meaning to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Why shouldn't we prosper and be in good health as our soul prospers? Why should we experience defeat when the word says no weapon formed against us shall prosper? Why sh should we doubt that we can make the walk when God says even a little child can do it? Why, why, why? So what stops us? Do you know what it is that hinders our faith to step out in the freedom of God meant for us to experience? We approach the Lord with Satan's message ringing in our ears. All the false doctrines and lies we have been fed by the church have harvested a crop of whiny, crybaby warriors. We are afraid to think or say we are free of Satan's jurisdiction over us. He has called our bluff. This fear and unbelief robs the work of the cross from us, and we stand powerless before the enemy by thinking this way. But the real truth is, again, God's righteousness has been given to us at rebirth. Satan has nothing in us any longer. It's not just an experience, but it's a legal fact established by the covenant we entered into with God. Now, I'm not preaching a once saved, always saved message either. We can definitely break covenant by choosing to walk contrary to Father's commandments and family rules and no longer maintain our righteous standing as a child of God. But if it is our desire to make the walk, Jesus made it possible for us to do it, and nothing, I mean nothing, can stop us. Ephesians 1, 5, and 6, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. His sacrifice is greater than our mistakes and frailties, and again, this is a legal fact. Remember the covenant we have made with him. God makes us like himself. When two people drink each other's blood, they become legally and absolutely one. When God cut covenant with Abraham and his descendants, which are us, we become one. So God Almighty is one with us. Are we in covenant with Jesus? Of course we are, and so we are then one with him. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16 and 17, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. 
He is the vine and we are the branches of that vine. Should we stand timidly in the face of evil? Absolutely not. Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave, and we are in blood covenant relationship with him. Are you getting the picture? We are legally righteous children, double blessed by two covenants, with all heaven's ability, glory, and power at our disposal, if we could only believe. I really think we could grasp this fully, that there would be an unveiling of the power of God that would cause multitudes to arise and live. Isaiah 25, verse 7 and 8 says, And he will destroy on this mountain, Mount Zion, the surface of the covering cast over the people, which is the grave clothes of false doctrine, and the veil that is spread over all nations, so they can't see the kingdom or understand truth. Verse 8, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, the rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. We need to be able to lead the way for the nations to be a part of this. They don't understand the covenants or believe the promises or even have a clue of what God has already done for them. Satan has the veil pulled over them. They can't see. But if we preach the word to them, it can be removed. Again, Jesus made the way. Hebrews 10, 19 and 20. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil that is his flesh. Luke 23, verse 45 and 46. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. This is a part of what happened at the death of Jesus. He made it possible for the religiously blind people to hear truth and come out from under Satan's veil of deception. Now let's look at a different way of praying. Let me say something here so you'll understand. I'm not so sure intercessory prayer is quite the same now in terms of begging and crying out to God as it was in either Judaism or Christianity. Let me show you what I mean. 1 Corinthians 3, 22 and 23 says, Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world of life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ's is God's. Okay, all things are already ours according to the scripture. Now Colossians 2.9 tells us, For in him, Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We are complete with the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in us. So now let us read Colossians 2.15 and Ephesians 1, verse 22 and 23. Colossians 2.15 says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. In Ephesians 1.22 and 23, And he put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
So if all things are already, already beneath our feet, since we are his body, are we not conquerors through him already then? And is it not stupid to cry out and beg for what is already ours? Ephesians 1.11 In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So let's thank him and repossess our inheritance. Would it not almost dishonor Father by not walking out the victory of the cross? And could we maybe hinder the manifestation of what he has planned since the foundation of the earth for restoration? Isn't it perhaps the wrong approach for children that are in the likeness of Jesus? Romans 8, 29 and 30, For whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Think about it. We have his nature, his name, and his ability. So shouldn't we learn to exercise these gifts rather than pray for God to do what he has already done? Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. This is not prayer. The word ask in the original Greek means demand. So we demand in Jesus' name and he will perform it, or see to it that it is accomplished. For instance, in the case of an injury, you demand that evil spirits of infirmity be loosed from the situation and the person to be covered by the word that says, by his stripes, you are healed. We are not demanding God to do anything, but we are demanding the enemy to loose the hold he has and Jesus backs it up or enforces it for us. Remember he said he could call legions of angels if he chose. That is the power we have as God's family with Jesus as our elder brother. So in closing, Psalms 89 verse 34 through 36 says, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne is the sun before me. In Matthew 1, 1, it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In the troubled days ahead that this planet with its man-made systems and religions will experience, it is very important we understand our identification, our privileges, and our legal rights as a covenant people to be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. We know without a shadow of a doubt, Satan will try to break and crush the spirit of each and every child of God. As the double blessed, however, as the blood brothers and sisters of Christ that wear robes of separation and righteousness, ones that have the family name and angels that watch over us, we will be protected and fully prepared. As his bride, as his army, we will meet face to face 
with the forces of hell, but we will emerge victorious as the children of God, Elohim, the church eternal, the church triumphant. church triumphant as always i hope you've enjoyed it and if you'd like to know more about us be sure to visit our website at www.trumpetsatruth.com and may you be blessed in all that you do in jesus name Thank you.